0: Today on the show, I interview the world's only consulting detective apologist, a.k.a. J. Warner Wallace. It's always a lot of fun to have uh, Detective Wallace on the show. He's a great conversationist, uh, really fun to have on. I always enjoy talking to him. We had a great conversation today about his uh, latest book that he co-authored with uh, Sean McDowell, who we've also had on the show before and uh, the title of that book is called so the next generation will know and it's all about as he says in the in the episode uh, there's plenty of apologetic books about why to believe in christianity and, and why apologetics but this book is particularly about how to uh, pass this information on to the next generation. It's really a how-to, how to do apologetics in a way that informs the next generation. I think you'll enjoy it. If you want to watch the or listen to the bonus segment, Five More Minutes with Jay Warner Wallace, follow the link in the description below over to our Patreon page and become a supporter. Uh, and you can listen to us talk about detective stuff. It's actually some really interesting things in there. As always, it's uh, uh, good to hear from Jay Warner Wallace. If you enjoy the episode, uh, be sure to hit the Like button subscribe, uh, leave us a review, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Well, hello and welcome to Help Me Believe, the show about Christian apologetics and theology. My name is Hayden Clark, your host, and today I am excited to introduce my special guest to you. He is our first Repeat interviewee on the podcast. We are so well uh, thankful to have back on the world's only consulting detective apologist, Jay Warner Wallace. How are you, sir?
1: Doing good. I guess that's probably true. We, I was uh, at a. Uh, next week is Law Enforcement Appreciation Week. Oh, yeah. uh, it, it happens every year in May, and so I was at our service today for we have you know the fallen officers who have died in the line of service in our agency. We we do a service uh, uh, on the week before usually, mm-hmm. uh, that, and we have an Armed Forces Day parade then in, in, in the weekend of. So, so I'm there with my son today, and I realize, wow, you know, this might this is it is probably true that he might be the next guy up. Who will take over that mantle for me? Yeah. He's already started to write blogs uh, on our website and do podcasts on our website. So I think Jimmy's probably the next guy who will, uh, sadly, right? Because there's a lot of Christians who are detectives and maybe who could step up and, and start mm-hmm. to talk about these issues. I hope they will.
0: So he's stepping up and actually uh, writing about apologetics and stuff on, yeah. you, on your yeah, side. Yeah, he is. And oh, okay. So a
1: lot of that is just, you know, what what can you squeeze in given, mm-hmm. you know, his, his schedule is as crazy as mine was back in the day when yeah. I was doing that full time. And trying to do the stuff we, you know, youth pastoring and I did all that bivocationally. So so now mm-hmm. it's his turn to try to figure out how to balance that career and your, your passion for apologetics. How do you put those in balance? Yeah. I mean, we talk about that a lot. You're doing that. Uh-huh. I mean, all of us who are bivocational uh, tent makers, basically, tent making apologists, yeah. or ca- I, I call these tent making uh, case makers. Um, that's really what we're doing, right? We're trying to figure out. And and I think a lot of people who watch your podcast and your videos, I'll bet you that they they think to themselves, I I could do that, or mm-hmm. I would, I should do that, or maybe I'd like to try to do that. And I think that our job, you know, as people have been there and done that, is we want to kind of help them figure out how to find that balance. It's it's doable. Mm-hmm. It just means you have to have appropriate um, probably goals. Like how what what can you achieve right. as a follower of Christ who's been called to a certain profession and and you still like to 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 answer the call of defending and you know and sharing the faith so
0: yeah, you definitely, I would I would just say, and I'm not experienced as you, you definitely have to be passionate about it. Um, yeah. it. A lot of times it's been the passion for defending the faith and and just this topic of apologetics that has kept me going and doing it, and I just really enjoy it, whether there's three people listening or whether there's any patron supporters or not. It's just something I've always en- enjoyed doing, and you certainly have to find that balance mm-hmm. uh, so that your wife doesn't get real mad at you for always being in, yeah. this, in this room <laughs> on the computer. Well, there's <laughs> times when you're going to stretch that so Stuff, uh, so so
1: thin, right? That if you don't have somebody who feels, and I often say this to people who, who want to jump into any kind of ministry, if you're married, um, you have to decide as a couple
0: mm-hmm.
1: that you want to jump into that. You ministry. certainly
0: do. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's if for If only sure. one of
1: you is committed to this, or it, you're going to have times when it's going to feel like, well, I'm spinning way too many plates. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're not both committed to seeing it as a couple's ministry, mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be challenging for sure.
0: Yeah, you definitely got to know your limits. Uh, I, there's certain things that I wish or I would kind of want to do, but you know, maybe those things will come one day. I'm perfectly content doing what I'm doing now. Um, as usual, me and you just get straight to talking and go off on some tangent, but this is great, yeah, right. great having you on it. and having a good conversation. Uh, Detective Wallace uh, has written a a new book recently co-authored with uh, Sean McDowell, who we've also had on the podcast before. And the title of that book is called So the the Next Generation Will Know, Preparing young christians for a challenging world Mm -hmm. and so uh detective wallace well first of all i meant to say earlier uh you were talking about uh, law enforcement appreciation i always Mm -hmm. want to say thank you for that and i'll I'll say it in advance of law uh, law enforcement appreciation week i'll say it now thank you so much for your service and to your son and your father as well and and everybody out there listening uh who has uh, served thank you so much for that we greatly appreciate that um so let's, let's get into the book um, okay. again, so the next generation will know. We're talking about the next generation and kind of passing on the gospel to them and, and apologetics and stuff like that. What was really the motivation for you in writing this new book?
1: Well, it, it, it practically speaking, a lot of it just came out of the fact that we uh, that Sean came to me. Uh, we've been dear friends for a lot of years, and and we both worked in with young people as part of our primary audience, right? He has been a Christian educator. My daughter was in his high school classes when he was a high school teacher. Oh, really? Um, you know, we both are on faculty at Summit. Probably half of our audiences or more are going to be young people. Uh, certainly, that's that's been our our, our goal is to reach teenagers, uh, with the, with the gospel, with, with the case for Christ. Um, that's been a large part of what I do. I try to make everything visual, for example, for that reason, I, I kind of have learned and I youth pastored for a number of years. I followed my own kids. When I became a Christian, uh, they were at maybe a lower elementary. So I just jumped in and started volunteering and before long I'm running the youth, the, uh, the children's ministry and for fifth and sixth graders at a huge church here in Southern California. And then as they got older, I just, followed them, you know, into ministry, and I ended up as their youth pastor for mm-hmm. a number of years. And then I launched a church that was really built on the backs of high schoolers uh, and and, uh, and uh, college students. So so this has been our passion for a lot of years. Now, Sean came to me and said, hey, you know, we, we both teach at Biola in this apologetics program. And he would like, I think, and it's noble, um, although I'll tell you why I think it might be pr- problematic. He wanted to, to launch a, a master's program for just youth pastors. Mm-hmm. An apologetics program that's designed for youth pastors to reach the next generation, and if that was the case, the question is, what would the text be? What would kind of the is there something out there that we could build uh, a master's program off of from a from a text perspective? And there wasn't anything we looked, you know. There's yeah. there's a lot of what books? What is true about Christianity? What is the case for God's existence? What 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 what? But there were no how-to manuals that would help us um, practically present it. so this is a book that is not full of what's. if you're looking for what is the case for Christianity, what is the Christian worldview articulate that's a different set of books. We've all written those. I've got three of those. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is a very practical how to. Once you know that thing about Christianity, there's still the challenge of having to present it in a unique way to a unique generation. And this generation is different. You how old are you, if you don't mind my yeah, asking?
0: Oh that's fine. I I won't be offended. I'm twenty six.
1: Okay so you're kind of at the end of the millennials right maybe right. 5 years from the end of the millennials you're kind of in the lower half of the millennials yeah. and and gen z are this generation between let's say 3 and 20 you know right in that range and and and, and so so the question and you know this as in your age group my son, my kids are your age that for the most part you you had a phone in your hand at some point by the time you were a teenager probably
0: yeah it, uh, but, yeah, I think the right? difference really between me and or what I've just noticed between me and the next generation being Gen Z. By the way, I'm a millennial. Millennials are adults now. You can stop blaming us for everything. Right. Uh, no, I'm just yeah, kidding. exactly. Uh, but the difference really is that I didn't really ever get a phone until, uh, or any of my friends until I was a teenager. So right. you know, my brain got to develop without it for a long time, and yeah, uh, I think and I think the difference really, too. yeah, I think the difference really is that Gen Z has uh, always had this, you know, social media and all that effect. They've always had Absolutely. it. I didn't all I didn't always have it. But yeah. well, that's
1: one of the things we, t- we do an entire chapter about trying to understand this generation and, and their characteristics, and and a lot has been written now about Gen Z over the last two years, and almost every list of descriptors. For what is what are gener- what's the difference between gen z and other generations almost every list begins with the fact that they are digital natives mm-hmm. that you can have a lot of other different uh descriptors that are offered in all these lists but and so we began our list that way too because that is really the defi- imagine in the entire history of humanity there have been certain ages that have been defined by either technological or industrial yeah. improvement Right. Mm -hmm. And so you see these iron, the Bronze Age, the Industrial Age. We are in the information age. It is as pivotal and as different and as uh, probably even more dramatically um, culture changing as any prior age. And we're talking about the generation that is the first complete generation born in that age, mm-hmm. so they don't recall a time before there were smartphones before that glowing rectangle dictated everything yeah, no. uh, and it changes if you think i mean I'm fascinated by the many ways I'm a communicator mm-hmm. and I would communicate through books. Listen, I talked a lot to my 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 friends who are in the publishing industry about how publishing how communicating ideas mm-hmm. is changing right given the nature of this media. Mm-hmm. And I think it really calls us as parents. Now here's the thing, it's interesting. So it always happens at the beginning of an age, a beginning of a, a cultural shift, right. that there will be parents from the their foot in the old age
2: mm-hmm.
1: who are raising kids with a foot in the new age. Now, one generation from now, that won't be the case. Right. But so for a lot of us, I think it is important for us as adults to figure out what's different about raising a generation Especially a generation that is completely autonomous. I want you to think about that for a second. Yeah, You know, they have the ability to select consumption of media in a way that was never available before. Before, if you were going to watch the news, you had one of three choices. Yeah. When I was a kid, you had one of three choices. That was it. Yeah. And, and these folks were pretty like-minded, so you didn't have a lot of choices. Now you can actually find the news outlet that reflects your worldview and ignore all the other. You can find the entertainment outlet that provides you with the entertainment you want and ignore all the other. So you have choices to control what you consume. Mm-hmm. Now think about that for a second. That means that that, that young people are, are able for the first time ever to, to craft a micro-narrative that they're choosing and, and eliminate all the other noise that they choose to. And here we are as Christians saying, hey, there's a meta-narrative God's story, which is overarching and transcendent, to a generation that has been raised developing their micro-narratives, right. I think it's going to be the hardest. And also, what is our meta-narrative? It begins with you submitting your autonomy Right. in a culture that has been raised to maximize its autonomy. I think it is going to change the way we communicate the gospel.
0: Hmm, okay. So let's dive into kind of this uniqueness of this generation, and and you've been talking about that. So what does this mean for uh, Christian educators? Or, I mean, we could take a a few different categories here, whether Christian parents or Christian educators or uh, youth ministers uh, seem to be a a targeted audience. Uh, How should they go, or how does this uniqueness of the generation affect, or how should it affect them and their approach to uh, yeah. whether just uh, uh, doing ministry or raising up uh, uh, Christian children in the home,
1: yeah. And when, when Sean first came to me with this idea, um, I I said to him, "So you want to write a book that helps mm-hmm. youth pastors teach apologetics?" You realize that has an audience of about ten people, right? I mean, yeah. you realize that's not a very big audience because I don't think it's, it's hard pressed even to convince youth pastors sometimes mm-hmm. that this is an important uh, field of study. To be able to 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 teach Christian worldview.
0: Yeah, well, it may not even be that. It may be something else that I think you touch on in the book, which is you're going to have a hard time convincing them. Uh, not that it is important, but that it's actually worth their time, or that it's actually like effective yeah. in bringing in, you know, numbers or something like that. But I, I don't, don't want to attribute so. any motive, but.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I said, we need to be broader in our audience. And I think really the responsibility I felt as a parent was that that discipling of my kids, spiritual discipling, was not something I wanted to give to a youth pastor. Anyway, I knew that was my responsibility. And I think as parents, now that's the audience I'm really... Now we have provided in each chapter breakout sections for what parents, how they can interpret this data, how, how they can actually apply this, what they can do with their own kids, how youth pastors can do it, and how Christian educators can do it. But I think what's changing for us, right... Mm-hmm. Is this sense that that we I, sometimes when we make a case for Christianity as apologists, I hate that word, but as Christian casemakers, we know that there are certain factual claims that we want to communicate, mm-hmm. and so we we camp in the, the 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 home of truth. You know, it's about pro- professing truth and mm-hmm. making claims that are truth claims and backing those up. But we know that that especially now. In a digital age where we have so much information that one of the things we see right away with, with the digital natives is they are excellent researchers mm-hmm. and they have access to all this information immediately there are times when you can be doing a talk publicly and you will see that some people are already fact-checking as to
0: you. say you're getting fact-checked right on the spot yeah
1: yeah right on the spot and live in real time And that's something that's very, very new, right? Mm -hmm. Now, what I also, we've also noticed, though, is that even though, okay, yes, you have more access to information, but we see a decrease in trust of that information. So what we see is a group that is growing up with with far more access to other angles and other, other pieces of information, yet far less trusting of any one source for information. Yeah. Well, how do you trust? Everything looks about the same online. I mean, you've seen this, right? Right. Um, sometimes a YouTube channel can look incredibly professional from somebody who's got one camera, no staff, no, fa- no, no uh, background in the, in the field necessarily. Mm-hmm. So how do you know who to trust? So now I think more than ever, the, the important connection... Between influence, relationship, and truth. So, if you want to influence somebody with truth claims now, it's this connection between relationship and truth. Now, we've always known that's that that's the case, but now I think our book chapter starts with what what does love look like in this context? What does relationship look like in this context? Because look, people can listen to our talk today, and they may not have a personal relationship with you or me, mm-hmm. and it'll have some impact. But I guarantee you, if you had an authoritative source for the information, who has a relationship with you that is deep and robust and trusting,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you're going to have far more impact on that claim. That's why we tell parents all the time: it's you can't tell your kids, "Hey, look, I don't have an answer for that," but but here's a book. You know, here's a book that you can read. Right. Okay. Well, mom or dad, remember that person who wrote that book has no relationship with your son or daughter. Mm-hmm. Better for you to read this book. And consume that information and become the expert for your kids. Because then you, if you're properly researched, have the perfect combination of relationship and truth.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that means that's a little, the that, that, that bad news is that that takes work. Right. And if you're a youth pastor, this is why, you know, I, I came from a church that was a mega church. But as I got to the point where I was pastoring youth, I think we had over 500 students in fifth and sixth grade when I was doing upper elementary. Yeah. That's a lot of students. Yeah. I could not know them all personally. Mm-hmm. When I got to youth pastoring, I said, I want to have a group that's small enough that I can develop the relationship with each person to know them personally. Mm-hmm. Because I knew that that combination of relationship and truth, I, I needed to maximize those. Because then it's two sides of the same
0: coin. Well, you actually um, you find this as uh, you find an example of this in Jesus, do you not?
1: Oh, of course, right? Yeah. Now, look, look, there's the masses. Mm-hmm. Right. There's the seventy-two that were sent.
0: Yeah.
1: There is the twelve. There are the three. Uh-huh. So there are you're kind of concentric circles
2: mm-hmm.
1: of of influence, right? But you know you're going to have a lot more influence with the three than you even are with the twelve. Right. Than you even are with the seventy-two. So I I think that you're know, definitely good examples of this. And we are wired. Look, one of the reasons why I think we are wired this way is because we are in the image of a triune God that is an eternal community. Mm-hmm. So these relationships are something that our God, Yahweh knows about if our description of him being triune is true, then we know he is not learning how to navigate relationships as he's creating us. Instead, he's been in an eternal relationship and he's always been about this relationship. So, so I think that's part of why it works so well for us. But, but again, what we wanted to do is say, okay, all that being true, um, what are the kind of practical outcomes of this? A generation, the number one, is digital natives to they are incredible fact checkers mm-hmm. they are researchers based on that digital they are also multitaskers to a level you've never seen in any other generation
0: probably to an unsafe way
1: yeah probably right <clears throat> that's why we always say hey it, we say hey you shouldn't text and drive mm-hmm. that kind of multi well, of course it is dangerous yeah. but can you imagine to a group that is always multitasking this just seems like another aspect of multitasking. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't even see the danger, in any of that kind of stuff, because what they're constantly doing—flipping between sites, what doing their social media while they're watching something on streaming media—you yeah. know—they're they're constantly involved. And in, and I know my mom, my mom is in her seventies, mm-hmm. so she's in a generation before me,
0: yeah.
1: and she doesn't understand the multitasking nature of her own grandkids. I get it.
0: Well, used to you I'm would have to. Just for example, I had to send you an email. Uh, while I was at work saying I'm going to be a few minutes late. I mean, right. used to, it would be, oh, we made these plans and now I'm going to be late. Sorry, Jim. I uh, yeah, I couldn't let you know if I didn't have a phone yeah. or stuff like that. Now right. I do. So now I can actually multitask while I'm still at work and sending you an email. You know what I mean? Like uh, technology plays into that as well. Uh, no, no, it and does. so your mother comes from a generation where it, wasn't right. an, it just wasn't an option to multitask wasn't an in that option. way.
1: Well, I think what this has done also for this generation is, is to increase their impatience, right? For because sure. what this allows, we have a certain sense of immediacy mm-hmm. in our uh, technology right now uh, that, that shortens our. Now, it's, much has been said about shortening attention spans. I, I think that we have to be careful about. I, first of all, I never see these as negatives. You know, one of the things that Sean and I did when we did this, Sean's done talks in the past where he's asked people to give him descriptions of what they would say about Gen Z. And it's amazing that when you ask people, just give me your idea of what, give me some descriptions of Gen Z, they're almost always negative. I actually think that all these things are exciting. Oh, for sure. And I see them as very positive. I think they are things that we just have to learn to speak new languages, right? That's always been the case. Every generation of old people, at some point, I, I have to kind of guard against this, I'm now 57. And if you're not careful, you can fall into that kind of old man attitude. It's like, hey, get off my lawn, kind of an attitude, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, but instead, what we have to do is embrace these as challenges. And, and to be young at heart often just means to stay up on what the language changes are, not, not in terms of words. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the way we speak to each. So, for example, you know, I, when I first started my own ministry 10 years ago, I think it was almost an entirely a blog-driven ministry, And now I'm just shifting away from, you know, I used to do five blogs a week. I used to do a daily (laughs) blog, okay? okay Who's reading daily blogs? I guess people my age. I don't know, but I I know I had to shift. So now we do two blogs, which I think is still probably too many. Mm -hmm. Maybe one blog a week is enough, and we're doing two videos and one uh, audio podcast. Mm -hmm. I think we're moving communication in a direction and I think what makes how and the way in which Gen Z are impatient, I think they're just visually impatient. I don't think they are content impatient. They're still going to go to the new Marvel movie, and how long is that thing? It's like three hours, right? Yeah. I mean, they're going to sit through the entire thing. But there will be thousands of visual scene changes in that three-hour movie. I bet you, if you were to take Gone with the Wind and count the scene changes, right. camera angles, count the the shifts, the corners that are turned visually, and compare them to the corners we turn now you're going to go, wow, that's just, it's not, no comparison, right? We have gone we've grown impatient in terms of turning corners. That's actually changed the way I communicate on the stage when I'm working with, with younger groups. I just know I have to, be visual, mm-hmm. and I have to turn as many corners as I can. Yeah, I was
0: going to say, uh, all of this is, is certainly true and uh, almost intuitive when you know what you say. It's like, oh, yes, that's definitely true. Now it's almost as if time is speeding up. Uh, I think I've heard those words before from somewhere. But, uh, yeah. So I was yeah. going to ask, uh, how this actually affects uh, doing uh, ministry with the next generation, or or raising up Christians in the next generation specifically? How does this uh, um, maybe a lack of attention span, um, maybe, or even uh, the fact that they mul- can multitask so well? Uh, how does that affect mm-hmm. how we do things? Uh, uh, well,
1: I, I think what it does is, um, <laughs> so there's a, we always in the book we talk about things that are timeless and things that are timely. And the timeless things are just the things that are grounded in human nature because we're designed in the image of God. Those things don't change. The expression of those things might change, and they become those are the timely things we have to kind of stay up with. But I think the desire for community, the desire for relationship, is never going to change because that's the kind of relate we are. Those kinds of beings, and and we'll be, I, that's why I think we can as 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 teachers. Who are older? I think the first thing we have to be committed to is the development of strong relationships that are genuine. Because I think in a world in which there's a lot of talking head shows, like what we're doing right now, right. what is what is sought was so valuable for anyone is a sense of being really genuine and transparent. And and I think actually that's why I do a lot of these kinds of talking head videos with a lot without a lot of of post production without a lot of bells and whistles. I, mm-hmm. I think. In the end, um, I want it to feel more like you're sitting right next to me in a relationship with me at coffee and having yeah. a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think that for most of us, we need to shift toward uh, – there's one thing I talk about in the book that I think is incredibly important to a generation that is bombarded with information. I remember when I first I – I've got my, my bookshelf back there somewhere. When I first wrote the first, the first book, Cold Case Christianity, about a year before, Michael Hyatt wrote a book called Platform. Getting heard in a noisy world. And it was just about how authors need to build a social media platform.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The subtitle is so true for what's happening with our generation right now. How do we get heard in a world where there's so much information out there and so much noise?
0: Yeah.
1: Well, I can tell you one thing that would be helpful. This is a tip that I want to offer, very practical tips. And I talk about this as being too wise for every What? Mm -hmm. And this is what I would say. I would say that if you're a parent or a youth pastor or a Christian educator, we have a tendency to do a lot of what. Here's what is true about the nature of God. Here's Uh what is true about the gospel. Here is what the gospel is. Here is what is true about the nature of Jesus. What Jesus did. Here's what, 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 what we're describing making claims. But we don't always provide the two whys that I think this generation seeks only because every other worldview is trying to provide those two whys. And the first why is, okay, okay, on the basis of what evidence is that, why do you believe that's true?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, you're making this claim about God or about Christianity, about Jesus, whatever, about history, about politics, whatever it may be. Give me some data. Give me some reason why I should embrace that. Because remember, your claim is just out there hanging in space with all the other claims. And those folks over there think that their view, especially if they're not Christians, they think that their view is grounded in the facts of science, Mm -hmm. evidentially grounded. They think that all of our claims as Christians are just blind faith claims. And so to, to compete with those kinds of ideas, I simply want to provide my students with good reason To believe this is true, and that means I'm going to use everything available to me. I will sometimes make that case strictly from Scripture, but I'll probably also use philosophical, Mm -hmm. historical, scientific, all kinds of other forms of evidence to substantiate my claims Mm -hmm. to Christians.
0: Yeah, there does seem to be a—and I've actually kind of said this for a while now, but I think it's it's probably just because I intuit this as—I am one of these young people, I'm I'm in the millennial generation— But there does seem to be a a, a desire for authenticity, if I could put it in a word. Uh, You know, don't just you know again. It it relates to apologetics in the sense that you just said, okay, that's what you believe. Tell me why you actually believe it. How is it? How can I actually know that it's true? Um, And um, this this desire for authenticity is what I've always said. You know. You're not gonna you're not gonna fill the pews with millennials or with uh, Gen Z with big flashy show or whatever. It's just that's not gonna work. Uh, we've been doing that for a while. Seventy uh, percent of them or whatever the statistics are still walked away. It didn't work. Uh, what they yeah. desire is really what we all desire. Surprise there, which is authenticity yeah. and a sense of belonging and the and the truth, of course. Yeah,
1: that's a great point. And I and I, I always whenever I hear someone in your age demographic um, describe this. I want to learn that. That's a thing I think we can do as parents and educators and youth pastors. We have to be really good listeners because relationships are always two directional. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, when I first planted my church, um, I wanted to plant a church um, that was relational like this. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that the number had to be really small. Um, So I I said, we're going to cap it at 50. If we get to 60, we're going to have to plant another church. And I don't need to be in charge of that second church. We need to find a leader to go plant another church. Right. And so we owned these cell groups and this was a Southern Baptist church plant. We were planted out of the Southern Baptist Convention here in Southern Mm -hmm. California, but we kept it at 50. And then after a while of doing this, I realized, man, you know, the way I'm setting this room up is affecting the relationship because it was it was set up the way most teaching environments are set up. One podium, 50 chairs facing the one speaker. Mm -hmm. So I needed to break that down. So we finally developed a circular kind of room so we could all sit and you wouldn't really know who was leading this group unless you knew who the leader was. Mm -hmm. Because I wanted to feel like, hey, I want to hear your voices. I also knew knew I needed to change the way I was doing sermons. I'm not going to prepare a 45 minute sermon or or instruction. I mean, most of my stuff was always going to be case making. (laughs) But I didn't prepare 45 minutes because I knew now if I'm going to really engage in relationships in that room. Well, I can even prepare maybe a 10-minute launch because then I'm not sure where this is going to go because mm-hmm. at some point, someone's going to raise their hand and say, hey, yeah, what about this, though? I mean, and that was free – you were free to do that yeah. in this circular setting. Yeah, You could raise your hand and ask a question, and if, I would respond to this is, question. Is and then this, before you know, now we're rabbit-trailed.
0: Yeah. Is this at the um, – I'm just curious now. Uh, is this uh, what you're describing now, Is is that taking place – um at the time where you would see a traditional sermon? Is that what you're saying? Yes. So oh, okay. what we would
1: do is instead of we 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 you know when I started I, I was fascinated by house churches, but I'm not one of these guys who says, Oh, the only way to do it is a house church. The yeah. only way to do it is a mega church. The only no no. Every form of church is beautiful and ugly. So yeah. So I get that. So I just wanted to have relation truth and relationship. Mm-hmm. And the relationship so when I first started though, I was just doing a big church idea in a small setting. I was, still didn't have I needed to break down the actual architecture of the room, the setting of the room, to facilitate these kinds of relationships. It also meant that I had to change the liturgy, uh, the order of service, yeah. basically, to allow for relationship in the order of service. Mm-hmm. It meant that we would start at five o'clock in the afternoon, and we would go to dinner afterwards, and then we'd invade some restaurant with fifty deep, and we'd have you know we'd be there until ten o'clock. Mm-hmm. So these we, we if we're gonna pray. It's relationship prayers. Mm -hmm. That means we're say, okay, now we're going to pray. We might be praying for an hour and 20 minutes because there's 50 people who want to pray about something. And that's just the nature of this kind of group. Mm -hmm. And so this thing became really interesting. And when I started writing books, it it meant that I had to step away from leadership of that group. But I will tell you, it's been hard to go back to any other form of community because of the way that group was structured, right? right? Here's my point. This is a generation, I think, like all of us, who wants to know – can is there – I think relationships to the outcomes. So here's the second why. Two whys for every what. First, yep. why is it true? And then here, you said authenticity. That's exactly right. The second why is, okay, great. You made a claim. you substantiated it evidentially. Why should I care?
0: Yeah, even if it is true. What, even if know? it is
1: true. well, How does it impact me? Mm-hmm. I mean it sounds like blah, 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 blah. Everyone's got blah, 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 blah. Just go on social media. Yeah. Everyone's got something they claim is true. Why should I embrace this? Especially when it's gonna ask me to sacrifice something in my own autonomy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's gonna I'm you want me to be a slave to Christ? Really? It, I mean, why would I wanna do that to begin with? Yeah. I think we have we have a duty now with this generation, too wise for everyone. Now let me tell you how that would change your conversations. If you're a parent, it means that yeah, you're gonna still say the what? I'm looking for opportunities to have what conversations, but I never present a what without the two whys.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Am I just mean I have to kind of think in my head. Now, listen, that means a little more work for me, because if it's a claim that's maybe highly esoteric, you know, it's a theological claim yeah. about the nature of God, well, then I'm going to have to think about, why does that matter to anybody?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Why does that matter to me? I think sometimes we, we stumble along in our Christian walk without being all that thoughtful about how it impacts us and mm-hmm. how it has shaped us. Or maybe we were raised this way, so it's just part of our culture. You know, we we kind of uh, embrace this this life, the same way we embrace being a resident of a certain community.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, okay, we need to stop now and think about what is the, what are our whys? What are our two whys? And then we can't pass those on to anybody unless we know what they are for ourselves. So, so that's I think a part of what it's going to require us. Mm-hmm.
0: To, well, let's just start. say let's say you present the case to me. And the what of Christianity, and then you you uh, present the the first um, why that is mm-hmm. why it's actually true, and so you substantiate the claims, and then okay, so what what would your answer be for the second one?
1: Okay, so it depends on the claim, right? So if we're saying, okay, what what's the deity of Christ? I mean, what does that, and I've thought about these, you know, people have been asking me this question, and so I, one I now commonly will use with people is this idea that, that okay, if we said that the triun- God is triune, that's a pretty radical claim. I get a lot of pushback, believe it or not. When I post articles online, I do this on several platforms. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised at the number of people who will argue about the deity of Christ, who are who are are in Christian churches, have self-identified as Christians. Yet they think more like they consider it more like almost like a Jehovah's Witness version of Jesus as the first order, you know, the first order being created by God. But they don't see Jesus as divine and they do not accept the triune, the Trinity. They don't. That's something they just don't accept. Wow. I'm always surprised by that. Yeah, right? I, haven't seen I, mean, that. I just thought so that if you were a Christian, you kind of thought that. Yeah, but it's true now. Now, it's people deny this and young people are hearing these kinds of things. So why does it matter? How do why first of all, how do I make a case for the Trinity when the Trinity, that word is not even anywhere in scripture? And you'll hear this all the time. If they're going to like fact check this and they're going to search one of the, they're going to get a list of responses.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And those responses for the most part are going to be anti-Trinitarian responses before they're going to be Trinitarian responses. So we need to be able to make that case, and even that case from Scripture, a case for the deity of Christ from Scripture. There's little things that are out there in the language of Jesus that give away the fact that he considered himself to be God, even from the smallest ways that he would address crowds. You know, never would he ever say, the Lord Almighty says, the Lord your God says. Mm-hmm. He never did that. He said, I say I to say. you. Yeah, well, truly, it, truly, I say to you. You have heard. I mean, heard, he, I mean he's, from he's his
0: language. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my you know. favorites that, uh, um, as you said, it's it's never going to be explicit, I am God. But, I mean, there was actually a reason for that. The script, the text actually provides a reason for that. He was waiting until his hour came before revealing these things. But um, the, the Sermon on the Mount is an interesting way to point to the deity of Christ, where he says repeatedly the structure is, um, you have heard it said to you. And then he quotes God's word. And then he says, but I say to you, as if he's That's somehow right. on par or even more on par with yeah. God, like, oh, okay, I mean, he's committing blasphemy, or he is God. So, yeah, yeah, no,
1: absolutely. And so those kinds of things will help us make a case. But then the question becomes, okay, well, why does that matter?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think the triune nature of God is huge in terms of our own identity, in terms of who we see ourselves. If we are created in the image of God, then don't be surprised that you have this strong desire to see how many likes you got on your Instagram. Why? Because you care about community. You care about relationships. Mm-hmm. You care about where you stand in the community of relationships you have. Well, why is that? Because you will never get away from that. That's that's part of who you are. You are c- created in the image of a triune being.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you're going to be seeking those. now. But what's interesting about God's trinity, God's triune being, is that these are all... Folks you can trust, okay? Right. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you can trust those folks, okay? You have to be careful who you associate with in your community that they are feeling they are equally driven like you are about the things that matter the most. Right. You know, you don't have to worry about the Trinity being, well, there's one of these guys is kind of an oddball you shouldn't hang out with. No. You might <laughs> have oddball you shouldn't in your group. Yeah. So it's it's important for us to see how this esoteric theological position trickles down into our own daily lives, right? Sure. Yeah. And I think it does, these things do matter to young people, only because there's so much spiritual noise mm-hmm. that you've got to figure out, what, what, what do I trust? Who do I trust? I, I, I sadly, You know, Sean and I started taking these trips with young people up to Berkeley a number of years ago. I started with a a gentleman named Brett Kunkel who is just fabulous. He's got a ministry called Maven Truth. So if you've never thought about an immersive experience that will change the life of your kids, he actually has a design right now so that you can uh, take your own trip without any help. He has all the tools there to train you on his website, teaches you how to take these trips. It's awesome. MavenTruth.com, free plug for Brett. Yeah. But I started with him 15 years ago, taking these trips and we designed a trip to Berkeley and we got it to Berkeley and we started talking to atheists who are in the area of, this, of the Bay Area, uh, atheist professors, atheist student groups. There was a number of those on campus.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And what we discovered is that there's a relationship between your commitment to spiritual things and your relationship with your own parents. We we discover a lot of people who uh, walk away from the church have broken relationships with their parents. Mm hmm. And, and that's that puts an onus on us. Not not to say that, that that's the whole reason why people walk away. Because right. if you ask them, they would say, no, I've got good rational intellectual reasons for leaving. But but don't forget, truth is connected to relationship. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of this is well, Where who is the relationship with whom I'm getting my information? Right. And so I think it's important for us to recognize that 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 parallel. And that's and that's by the way, if you've got a son or a daughter who right now is not walking with God and is really not interested in God. And you keep on trying to present truth, 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 truth. I have, you know, I have folks in my family same way. I can tell the truth, 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 truth. It seems like it's going nowhere. It seems yeah. like it's bouncing off like Teflon. Well, okay, it's truth in relationship. So if there's if there's a season in which I cannot speak truth to them, I can still work on the relationship
0: side. For of sure. It. Yeah. Exactly. And
1: then at some point, I'll have a strong enough because it's together. Yeah, that, together.
0: That's definitely a very important point. That you know. Yeah. Okay. I have you know, skeptic and atheist friends, and 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 so. They kind of think my beliefs are silly, whatever. But they know I'm a really good friend. They really like me. I really like them. And uh, I'm just going to do that because I actually love them right. and, and, and enjoy their company. But but yeah. like you just said, a, a side effect or something of that, if you will, uh, is that they're more likely to listen to me. We have conversations all the time about the gospel and about God. Right. And it's because I actually care about them. They actually care about me. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the relationship part is definitely true. Uh, you you were touching on parents, and so I, I have a question just about the title of the book. So the next generation will know. Does that come yeah. from Deuteronomy six by chance, or is I mean this it, is probably found throughout the Bible, but
1: it is found throughout the Bible. And so the version I'm using is NASB. I like the NASB. People ask me all the time, what version of the Scriptures do you like the best? And I you know I, I you get into these debates about what form of Scripture uh, is most trustworthy. I I love the more the word for word translations rather than the meaning for meaning translation. So I pulled it out of Psalm 78. Here's what it says. He establishes a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So I, I we had a name I think when we first started, but but I don't know. I think I was just reading, and you know we yeah. do a nightly reading. So I, I think I found it in Psalms so and that was, captured it.
0: Same uh, different text than what I was going to turn to, but it makes the exact same point I think. And I'm, th- I'm I don't have mine up in front of me. I think if I switch the screen here, I don't know how that'll affect the video. Right. Yeah. Here uh, is. But uh, I'm thinking of Deuteronomy six, and this was a, yes. whenever I, I was a children and youth pastor and the, the pastor was so uh, uh, brave as to let me preach on a Sunday, uh, I would often go to Deuteronomy 6 and preach about the next generation, uh, be, which is, seems um, counterintuitive but turn into Deuteronomy 6, but uh, this is where you find, uh, I think you'll find the exact same words that the psalmist was saying there, and specifically yeah. that this was the role of the parents to pass on the truths of, right. of God, uh, teach them about uh, these things. And so, Yeah. Let me me just say
1: something about that. That's so, that's so, I love that Deuteronomy six passage and you're right. I could have pulled it from there too. And sometimes, you know, you can't find exactly that language if you're not in the right translation, but, 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 um, well, I read from the NASB as
0: well. So that's probably why. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) What I think is interesting about that is that, that, that I think as parents, we do pass on passions about certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, I always use these analogies because I'm a huge, I spend way too much time watching sports. My wife's like, really? I mean, why are you so? I <laughs> mean, it's it, it can be a little bit distracting, but but I think the sports are kind of a, an analogy for a lot for living the Christian life. Often, you know, you can see a lot about character, a lot about the role of sacrifice. Anyway, I'm I'm I don't really have a, a in Southern California. There's not really a huge fan base for anything. It seems like right there's so many other distractions. But I know people who are huge fans of their region. And tonight, the the Warriors are playing the Rockets. Mm-hmm. All right, so they're, they're getting into the, in the playoffs, and I know there are a pair of people who live in, in Houston who have passed on their passion for their Rockets just organically to their yeah. kids. They know that they they talk about it, they watch it, they set aside time to watch the game tonight. It could be the Cowboys, it could be you know the Patriots, whoever your team is, the Oakland Raiders, whatever. But you've passed on that your passion and interest in that. It could be right. fishing, and they know that because you you start to wear it in your clothing, you carve time for it, set it aside. And you're excited about it. when you say, Oh, we got to go to the game last night. We got to go. Mm-hmm. How great. You get to go to a game. How when's the last time your kids felt that way or you even expressed it that way about the you know, your time with God? I get to go before the Lord. Right. You know, you should pray more. It's like oh it's like a duty. Yeah. Like brushing your teeth. You should brush your teeth more. Yeah. Re- really? Probably should. I mean it, it's pretty <laughs> clear to our kids what we're passionate about. Yeah. And so, a lot of this, I think sometimes parents think, oh, I got to carve a whole nother set of time and effort to do this other thing. No, you just got to reprioritize the things you're already passionate about and you spend time with. It's time to reprioritize those yeah, things.
0: And kids these days in sports, that was probably a perfect illustration. Uh, you definitely do pass things on to your kids. And uh, the parents really are the real children's ministers, the real youth ministers. Mm-hmm. They, they might get an hour with a youth pastor, or a children's pastor a week, and they're going to get eight hours a day with their teachers, That's right. And then everything else is going to be with you. so um, And uh, I'll give an illustration for you. you might like uh, you gave sports. My dad was a huge Joe Kinda fan. Is that a name familiar to a fellow detective? Yes, absolutely. Yes, <laughs> so, yes. Well, it's I
1: get there's there's always contemporary characters and detectives that people are are fascinated by. So go yeah. ahead. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, so we grew up either watching the Texas Rangers, the Dallas Cowboys, and so that was definitely passed on to me, or Joe Kenda, or yeah. the the ID channel. My dad's a huge. Like, oh my a, gosh, the, that's the so popular right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so absolutely. my my stepmom and I used to joke that he was watching that because he was taking notes and learning how he was gonna get away with it, but. I know. Right.
1: Yeah. We, we always say that and it never, never, but I, you're right though. We, we have preoccupations with certain things that we pass on to our kids. So I, what we're trying to do is write a book that has so many practical illustrations in it of how you can pass on the next, to the next generation that, that when one comes up in your own life, you'll go, Oh, this is exactly what they were talking about. Cause I think what happens is we have all kinds of organic opportunities to share truth with our, our families and with our youth pastor, whatever, and and they kind of pass us by. Like we think that in order to pass on the, the next to the next generation, well, that means we're going to set aside an hour a week on Sunday night. We're going to do a Bible study. Not, okay. Look, what we're trying to do is show you how in every minute and every situation you're in, wherever the context is, you can turn that into a teachable moment, and have these kinds of. By the way. This happens organically for a lot of other things. If you're one of those sports fans, you'll find a way to talk about it three times today. Yeah. You'll find a way. You'll hear uh-huh. something on the radio. You'll, you'll talk about, you know, did you realize, you know, Dak Prescott, is he going to get that contract? You know, it's a big contract. Should he get that contract? Well, you know, Russell Wilson just signed a contract for this amount. I mean, how do I have all that information cluttered in my head? Well, I happen to be interested. And so if you talk to me for very long, if you're in a car with me for very long, I, the conversation will probably at some point roll around to those things I'm interested in. So now it's an opportunity for us as parents to say, okay, I'm, I'm interested enough to know what I know well enough to explain it. Well, then I can just look for organic. I always t- use this illustration. When it, before I became a Christian, and I was Christian about 35, I became a Christian. And before that, if if something happened that was like, remarkable in my life, I would go, wow, what a great coincidence, or I attribute it to physics, or I attribute it to chance. Stuff happens, good and bad, to everybody. I never thought of it. Thought of it as like you know. God's somehow behind this, right? And even when I became a Christian for several years, I I, I didn't I would still walk by that stuff. It it took an, a concerted effort for me to to start to see God's work in my life, and then suddenly I was seeing it a lot. I realized, oh wow, that really is best explained by God's work in my life. You know, I could I became sensitive to God's activity. First of all, I knew from Scripture kind of how God acts now. So, so I would, I would look for it in my own life. Well, what we're trying to do with parents here in this book and, and all the people who work with kids is just to, to make you sensitive now to the opportunities you used to walk by. So you go, Oh yeah, this is a great opportunity just to say a few things. And we don't, and and, and by the way, we have train wrecked every suggestion in this book billions of times. We, we are not necessarily good right. at this ourselves. Okay. So pressure's off. Um, Uh, Because I feel like uh, I've missed so many opportunities. And so I think sometimes wisdom can come, almost always wisdom comes quicker from failures than it does from successes. For sure. So it doesn't have to be your failure. It could be our failures that you can just read about and say, okay, I get it. And a lot of times we'll try, we'll think, oh, this is a great, this thing on the radio right now is a great launching point for this conversation I wanna have. And then you'll try it, and you'll go, Oh my gosh, and your kids see right through it and they're like, this is a this is a train wreck. So we just step off that and and you know, <laughs> forgive me, move on, you know. But but I think it's important for us to to make the effort mm-hmm. Especially if we do care about the future of Christianity in America.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, Detective Wallace, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, if you're still listening with us, uh, thanks for joining us. You uh, can stick around for the uh, five-more-minute bonus segment with uh, Detective J. Warner Wallace. Uh, Spoiler alert, we're going to d- uh, discuss some detective stuff. Uh, couldn't help myself. But before we get to that, uh, uh, Detective Wallace, um, what would you say and just in some closing remarks to a parent or a youth pastor or a Christian educator who, who maybe they've been joining us through this whole conversation and they're thinking, you know what, all this sounds good. These are some good ideas. I want to start changing maybe uh, my approach to this. What would you say just in some closing remarks to, to them?
1: Well, I think it could be overwhelming. Um, And I always hesitant. I was hesitant to write a book like this, number one, because I didn't want to position myself as an authority in parenting, because I've got my peaks and valleys in my season of parenting, like everybody else. But I also wanted to produce something that you could just take one idea, one nugget and move forward. So what I would suggest to anybody is like starting a diet or starting a workout routine. You know, you don't hop in and start benching at your max. You hop in and you work towards something, but you do hop in. So what I would say is at least now, I would just encourage you, especially if you see that your kids are starting to drift and now you're suddenly sensitive, I need to do something. Don't be overwhelmed. It's just, you know, it's one step at a time. And, and, what's, what's, and what's amazing is that I think God honors the first step and then opens up other opportunities for us. Also, I was 35 before I became a Christian. If you'd have asked my friends when I was 34, well, Wallace at work, uh, would Wallace see the killer be a Christian? I guarantee you there wasn't a police officer or a detective who knew me who would say, oh, yeah. No, they would have all said, well, not, probably not, <laughs> no. <laughs> because they knew me. Yet, here I am today. And that's why I have become patient, even with my own kids and that spectrum of where your kids may be. You might have four or five kids or three kids and you might have a spectrum of belief. Be patient
2: mm-hmm.
1: when you think it's lost and there's no way that one will ever turn back. You'll be surprised what God can do. Mm-hmm. So just wanted to be, to encourage people that just to know small steps, you might find one thing here that will change the way you parent, or the way you teach, the way you lead. That's all you're going to get out of it. That would be worth the time, I think, to
0: jump in. For sure. Well, be sure to get a copy of the book. I'll leave a link in the description here for you to follow and uh, get a copy, leave a review. And uh, uh, Detective Wallace, thanks so much for joining me again. Absolutely. uh, There was no disappointment. It's just as great as the first time. Thank you so much, sir.
1: Thanks, brother. Appreciate you.
0: Hey, guys, thanks for joining us. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, leave us a review. If you want to watch the bonus segment, five more minutes with J. Warner Wallace and listen to some detective stuff, be sure to follow the link in the description below and become a supporter of our ministry. Thanks so much for joining us, guys, and we'll see you next time.